All right, welcome back. This is a special episode. Um, we are going to Waverly Hills tonight, and I just want to set the mood correctly and go over a couple of things that we mentioned in our episode three, our Halloween edition on Waverly Hills. But I kind of want to go over some of that, those stories and stuff to kind of get me in the mood to go investigate tonight and to get you guys in the mood to, you know, hear what we discovered. All right, buckle up. It's going to be a spooky episode. All right, in preparation for tonight, I have my white sage because nothing is coming home with me for after we get done. <laughs> I have my Crocs on. I have my battery for my com- for my uh, computer and for my uh, camera charging so that we can finish part two of this episode where we debrief if we saw anything or what we saw, if we did see anything spooky. All right, so without further ado, let's get into Ranker, the top 10 horrifying stories from Waverly Hills. All right, so if you listen to episode three, some of this stuff is going to be a repeat, but like I said, I'm getting us back into the mood to visit this place. All right, this is from Anna Lindwasser on Ranker.com. Louisville, Kentucky is home to Waverly Hills Sanatorium, which many people believe is one of the most haunted places on the earth. While the building is now primarily a tourist attraction for those with creepy predilections, such as me and my friends, it used to be a functioning tuberculosis hospital. In 1910, when the hospital was established, there was a place where roughly 8,000 people died bloody, excruciating deaths, as there would be no real cure for tuberculosis, known as the White Plague, until streptomycin was invented in 1943. With all that suffering, it is not surprising that rumors of creepy doppelgangers, ghostly children, demonic forces, and more have cropped up. It is one of the most famous Kentucky ghost stories, and the haunted Waverly Hills Sanatorium is known worldwide. While spooky stories like these can't truly be proven, there are plenty of people who will swear on their lives that these are true. Haunted sanitariums are scary, but the spooky stories from Waverly Hills Sanatorium are downright terrifying. Alright, number one, some of the TB treatments were brutal. With no real way to cure tuberculosis, with the sanatorium was open, doctors did what they could to treat the illness. As a last resort, doctors devised treatments such as inserting balloons into patients' lungs and filling them with air to help with breathing. Doctors also removed ribs and muscle tissue to alleviate pressure and create more room for damaged lungs. This resulted in painful, ineffective, and often fatal surgeries. They had a body shoot for deceased patients. Before the invention of streptomycin, tuberculosis was basically a death sentence. Bodies had been had to be disposed of somehow, and staff didn't want to do it where patients could see due to morale. The solution was a body shoot, 
or a tunnel that led from the hospital to a nearby railroad tracks. From there, a motorized rail and cable system lifted the cadavers into the trains that would take them away. Number three, room 502 was a death trap. When people in sanatorium die, you'd expect it to be the tuberculosis patients, not the healthy staff. Despite this, room 502 seemed to invite sadness. According to local legend, the head nurse of room 502 was found hanging from a light fixture. This is believed to be a suicide, triggered by depression over unwanted pregnancy. Another nurse, who also worked in room 502, jumped off the roof to her death. Who might have done it, why, are unknown. Ghost hunters smelled bread baking in an abandoned kitchen. One legend stems from the experience of the Louisville Ghost Hunter Society. When they visited Waverly Hills, they found the kitchens in shambles. Windows and tables and chairs were broken. The cafeteria was in similar state of disrepair. Finding nothing useful, the team tried to leave, but before they could, they heard footsteps. Then they heard a door swing shut. Then they noticed the smell of freshly baked bread. No one else was in the building, let alone using the ruined kitchen to bake bread. There seemed to be no explanation for what they had witnessed. <sighs> Tourists experience the ghost sightings too. True Ghost Tales features a story by Joey, a visitor to Waverly Hills Sanatorium. After Joey and a few friends learned about the spooky history of the place, they had their own haunted experience. After touring the building, they headed to the roof to decompress. They began seeing shadows moving around and started getting scared. Joey's friend Chris got so scared, he wanted to jump off the roof. The group went back inside, still pursued by shadows. They started to hear doors slamming shut and seeing mysterious footprints appear from nowhere in puddles of water. Chris began to cry, and the rest of the group barely held it together, but finally made it out of the sanatorium and into Joey's sister's car. Were their minds playing tricks on them, or was it miserable souls of the dead tuberculosis patients? A bleeding ghost in chains haunts the hospital. One of the saddest ghosts is that of an elderly woman who supposedly roams the hospital, moaning and bleeding from her chained hands and feet. Though she cries for help, when outsiders approach her, she runs away screaming in terror. After the tuberculosis hospital, it was an old folks' home that had questionable tactics, so that's where that one comes from. There's a child ghost named Timmy. One of the more well-known ghosts at Waverly Hills is a little boy known as Timmy. Timmy was around six or seven years old when he died in the hospital. Since he died with his whole life ahead of him, his spirit can't move on, and he wanders the hall trying to have fun. Visitors often bring balls for him to play with, and many claim they see balls moving seemingly on their own. Believers in Timmy say it's him, while skeptics say the balls are moving thanks to either wind or uneven flooring. The whole place is haunted by a grim presence called the Creeper. Okay, the Creeper is one thing I hope I do not see tonight. <laughs> that is one thing I hope I do not see tonight. That will mess me up. Okay. If you've ever felt an overwhelming doom that you can't explain, you might have come across a being like the Creeper. 
The Creeper is a dark, terrifying entity that crawls along the floors and walls of Waverly Hills. Some believe it's an otherworldly spirit or demonic force, while others believe it's a human spirit that has been twisted by trauma of death. Whether it's true, those who encounter it are invariably filled with dread. Okay, so in another article, it says that the Creeper is like the size of a very, very large dog or bear. And it crawls around on all fours, and it can climb up the walls and ceiling. <laughs> and it runs at people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Alright, tour guides report seeing doppelgangers. Doppelgangers, also known as double walkers, are a type of spirit that can mimic the appearance, voice, and mannerisms of anyone and anything it encounters. This could mean looking across the room and seeing an exact replica of yourself, or watching what appears to be your sister strangling a cat, even though she loves cats. Tour guides at Waverly Hills often report seeing doppelgangers of themselves and others. In some cases, the doppelgangers were almost identical, except for the black holes where the eye should be. Man, <laughs> I better not see any of those. A female ghost was seen peeking around corners. Mary Lee was a young woman who lived in the sanatorium while it was open. On September 10, 2006, Tom Halstead of Missouri Paranormal Research took a photograph of a fo ghastly apparition that looked almost exactly like Mary. Some believe Mary is the nurse who hung herself in 502 while others believe she was the daughter of a Waverly Hills doctor who contracted TB herself from prolonged exposure to patients. Ooh, very good. Very good start to the episode. All right, we'll keep going with some spooky Waverly Hills stories right after this. All right, welcome back. Okay, so this story is definitely a repeat from episode 3, but I kind of love it. So I'm going to read it again. It's from the PortsmouthDailyTimes.com by Andrew McManus. <sighs> and even if you heard this on episode 3, uh, I think it's been long enough. You'll enjoy this story too. Alright, so I begin. On May 22nd, nine friends and myself had an overnight stay in Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky. I'll be the first to admit it. I wasn't excited to go. I was nervous. At least a few times a week, I'd get scared at my office when someone says, Hello! And my mom is the queen of hiding behind doors and jumping out. <laughs> I do love horror films and have always been interested in doing an overnight stay at a haunted location. Yet, I was dreading it. My friends Kyle James had booked the trip with his wife Shannon and happened to have two people back out at the last minute. I told him I'd ask my girlfriend, Hannah Stanford, and see if she wanted to go. She was ecstatic. I've been wanting to go there for years, was her response. So guess what? We were going to the sanatorium. A little backstory on Waverly Hills. It was opened in 1910 to combat tuberculosis, aka TB. Many considered TB to be the White Plague. Originally, the hospital could only hold around 50 people. With the need for more space and a growing concern, the hospital expanded in the 20s, and have, we have the building that stands today. At its completion, it could hold roughly 400 people and had lost in the tens of thousands before closing. 
We've heard anywhere from 40,000 to 68,000 people. Waverly Hills has been on numerous ghost hunting shows. The biggest known one is Ghost Hunters, and they quipped that it's one of the most haunted places in the world. I've done some research, but I was not prepared. We arrived at the site under what was left of daylight. I put on my brave face and acted cool and calm. My friends Sean and Dwayne win as well, but trick up his sleeve. It was evident that he was a complete skeptic, and I shared some of his opinions, but like I said, I was still nervous. We take a walk around the complex, and our guide, Ernie, starts to give us a tour of everything inside the building. Roughly one hour in, I thought Sean went into another room. Swore I saw him walk in there, and I went to follow him. Nope. Nobody there. We were in for a long night. Ernie took us to the different floors. The fourth floor was said to be haunted by a little boy named Timmy. He liked to roll balls on the hall, on the floor. And this was apparent because other investigators had left balls, some with rattlers in them, throughout the sanatorium. The fifth floor housed room 502. This room is said to be the most haunted in the whole area. Finally, Ernie takes us to one of the operating rooms. He turns off his flashlight and speaks to the spirits. They communicate back through, through turning the light on and off. Of course, I was standing in the closest to the flashlight and thought, wonderful. We were skeptical of this. Was it a parlor trick? A trick flashlight? There are other articles stating how you can fake this. I don't know if it was real or if it was fake, but I will say others in our group used the flashlight on their own, and some had the same results. Regardless, neat effect, and had most of our hearts racing. Roughly two hours in, Ernie takes us back to HQ, the gift shop, with running electricity and water, where we housed all our snacks and extra clothes. We are on our own. Immediately, Hannah and I went to the body shoot. Sounds like what it's called. That was the tunnel that descended 500 feet normally, used for maintenance. With deaths piling up with TV at its most extreme, the tunnel became where deceased patients were taken to try and avoid having living patients' morale suffer as much as their health. We made our trek down the tunnel, and the only way to explain the feeling, and the feeling most of the night, was just an uneasiness. Eventually, we grouped up. Hannah and me, Sean, Kyle, Shannon, and a few others. Great. Big group. Everyone is safe. Nope. Bats. There are bats. We were in a catch-22. Do we use our light to see through the hallways? Do that, and in some places, bats came at our head. I've never dodged bats before until that night. Looking back, it had an element to our night none of us had assumed would happen. Thankfully, no one was bitten or hurt. So I can look back now and laugh about our friends for the night. Hours passed and we took turns staying in groups and Hannah and I going off by ourselves. I think she was testing to see how brave I was. I would soon fail. First, not using the lights to avoid the bats, my right foot caught on numerous balls in the hallway. I yelled and panicked and everyone laughed. The biggest scare for me was roughly 30 minutes later. Ernie had told us about a spirit known as the Creeper, something that walks on all fours. Very vague explanation. Listen, I'm not here to make you believe in spirits or make you think it's all fake. 
I will tell you with our group, I personally was staring at the bottom of a door and something came crawling at me. Brown and white, bigger than a dog. Still to this day, no idea what it was. I jumped probably five feet in the air because I thought whatever it was was going to run into my feet. Immediately, I asked if anyone else saw it and no one had. I don't know what it was, but it, I can promise you, it wasn't even midnight. So sleep deferation wasn't an issue. And I saw whatever it was plain as looking at the sky. I am no longer a skeptic. We finished out the night going through some of the more haunted rooms. Remember room 502, the most haunted room of all? Someone had placed baby dolls for the spirit. I believe her name was Sarah in the room. We all took pictures of it. Later that night, one of Timmy's balls was, was sitting between them. No, it wasn't Ernie. One of our group members was deathly afraid early on, and we couldn't leave her unattended. No Scooby-Doo ending there. Just some unexplained occurrences which seemed to happen at every corner. Just like any other classic horror film, there's always one final scare. Our group is walking through the halls, dodging bats, and then we hear an air horn. Mr. Dunn decided to scare everyone with something he had clearly planned and hid the entire night. Well played, sir. We all were skeptics in one way or another. I believe that everyone left a little more curious about what could be, what was real, what wasn't. I'm confident none of us can explain everything that happened, and that makes for a pretty interesting night. A memory I will cherish, even if I saw the creeper and jumped higher than I ever have in my life. <laughs> Hashtag boyfriend material. Sean said it was the best night of our, our best, said it best about our night at Waverly Hills. Camping invites people to tell ghost stories. Waverly Hills invites people to walk around in one. Check this place out. Oh, I love that story. That definitely gets me in the mood to go investigate tonight. <laughs> All right, we'll take a short break and be right back at it after this. All right, welcome back. I'm going to be reading an article from AmericanHauntingsInc.com. Um, this is about Waverly Hills Sanatorium, Kentucky's Hospital of the Damned. One of the first questions that people ask when they learn what I write about, the supernatural for a living, is whether or not I've seen a ghost. Since I confess that being a psychic on the fence post, I don't go around seeing dead people. I have some pretty strange experiences during my lifetime, but there have only been a handful of occasions when I actually believe I saw a ghost. Could they have been tricks of the light or the products of an overactive imagination? It's possible, at least in a couple of instances, but there's no question about what I saw at Waverly Hills in 2002. I saw a ghost, and that should come as no surprise since Waverly Hills is one of the most haunted places I've ever visited. During the 18 and early 1900s, America was ravaged by a deadly disease known as the White Death, tuberculosis. This terrifying, contagious plague, for which no cure existed, claimed entire families and sometimes entire towns. In 1900, Louisville, Kentucky had the highest tuberculosis rate in America. Built on low swampland, and the area was perfect breeding ground for the disease. And in 1910, a hospital was constructed on a windswept hill in southern Jefferson County 
that had been designed to combat the horrible disease. The disease continued to run rampant through the region, and eventually, with donations of money and land, a new hospital was started in 1924. The new structure, known as Waverly Hills, opened two years later in 1926. It was considered the most advanced tuberculosis sanatorium in the country, but even then, most of the patients succumbed to the disease. There was no medicine available at the time to treat the disease, so many patients were offered rest, fresh air, and lots of nutritious food. Sadly, the main use of the hospital was to isolate those who had come down with the disease and keep them away from those who had not. Families were tragically divided with parents, even children, forced into the sanitarium with little contact with their loved ones. Treatments for tuberculosis were sometimes as bad as the disease itself. Some of the experiments that were conducted in search of a cure seem barbaric by today's standards, but others are now common practice. Patients' lungs were exposed to ultraviolet light to try and stop the spread of the bacteria. This was done in a sunroom, using artificial light in place of sunlight, or on the roof in open porches of the hospital. Since fresh air was thought to also be a possible cure, patients were often placed in huge windows, in front of huge windows on the porch. Big open porches, no matter what the season. Cold, hot, didn't matter. Old photographs show patients lounging in chairs, taking in the fresh air, while literally covered in snow. Other treatments were less pleasant and much bloodier. Balloons were would be surgically implanted in the lungs and then filled with air to expand them. Needless to say, this often had disastrous results, and as did an operation where muscles and ribs were removed from a patient's chest to allow the lungs to expand further and let in more oxygen. This blood-soaked procedure was seen as the last resort, and many patients did not survive it. While the patients who survived both the disease and the treatments left Waverly Hills through the front door, many others left through what became as known as the body chute. This enclosed tunnel for the dead led from the hospital to the railroad tracks at the bottom of the hill. Using a motorized rail the and cable system, the bodies were lowered in secret into a waiting train. This was done so that patients would not see how many were leaving the hospital as corpses. Their mental health, the doctors believed, was just as important as their physical health. There are many inaccurate reports as to how many people died during Waverly Hills' decades of operation. Some claim that tens of thousands died within the walls, but this number is greatly exaggerated. According to Dr. J. Frank Stewart, a former assistant medical director at the hospital, the highest number of deaths to occur at Waverly Hills in a single year is 152. By 1955, those numbers had dropped as low as 42 deaths, and it's been estimated based on death certificates that were filed that approximately 6,000 people died there, dating all the way back to the original hospital records in 1911. While far short of the numbers being tossed about in legends, it's still a tremendous number of deaths to have occurred in a single structure. By the late 1930s, tuberculosis had begun to decline around the world, and by 1943, new medicines had largely eradicated tuberculosis in the United States. A small jump in new cases did occur after World War II, and many soldiers returning from war were housed at Waverly Hills. Dr. Stewart noted in this autobiography that many soldiers had cases that were so advanced they did not live for more than a week after arriving at the hospital. 
1961, Waverly Hills was closed down and then reopened a year later as Woodhaven Geriatric Sanatorium. There have been many rumors and stories told about patient mistreatment and unusual experiments during the years that that building was used as an old age home. Some of them have been proven to be false, and others have unfortunately turned out to be true. They include electric, electroshock therapy, which was considered highly effective in those days, and was widely used for a variety of ailments. Budget cuts in the 1960s and 1970s led to a horrible conditions and patient mistreatment, and in 1982, the state closed the facility for good. Is it any wonder, after all the death, pain, and agony within these walls, that Waverly Hills is considered to be one of the most haunted places in the country? The buildings and land were auctioned off and changed hands many times over the course of the next two decades. In 1983, a developer purchased the land with plans to turn it into a minimum security prison for the state of Kentucky. Plans were dropped after neighbors protested and a new idea to turn the former hospital into an apartment was devised. A lack of financing caused this plan to be abandoned. In March 1996, Waverly Hills and the surrounding land was bought by Robert Aberhasky, who ran Christ the Redeemer Foundation, Inc., he had plans to construct the world's tallest statue of Jesus on the Waverly site, along with an art and worship center. The statue, was, which was inspired by the famed Christ and Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, was to be situated on the roof of the hospital at the cost of about $4 million. The next phase of his plan was to convert the sanatorium into a chapel, theater, and gift shop for another $8 million. Not surprisingly, donations for the project fell far short of what was expected. During the first year, only $3,000 was raised towards the effort, and the project was canceled by 1997, December. Albert Husky abandoned the Waverly Hills pro property, and then, in order to recoup some of his costs, tried to have the property condemned so that the building could be torn down and redeveloped. This plan was blocked by the county, and according to rumor, demolition work was then done around the southern edge of the building in order to undermine the structural foundations and collect insurance money. This scheme also failed, and in 2001, Waverly Hills was sold to Charlie and Tina Mattingly, the current owners of the property. By 2001, the once stately building had been nearly destroyed by time. The elements and the vandals who came here looking for a thrill, Waverly Hills had become a local haunted house and had become a magnet for the homeless looking for shelter and teenagers who broke in looking for ghosts. The hospital soon gained a reputation for being haunted and stories began to circulate about resident ghosts like the little girl who was seen running up and down the third floor the little boy who was spotted with a leather ball, the hearse that appeared in the back of the building dropping off coffins, and the woman with the bleeding wrists who cried for help and others. Visitors told of slamming doors, lights in the windows, as if power was still running through the building, strange sounds and eerie footsteps in the empty rooms. Other legends told of a man in a white coat who was seen working, walking in the kitchen and the smell of cooking food that sometimes wafted through the room. The kitchen was a disaster, a ruined broken windows, fallen plaster, broken tables, chairs, and puddles of water, debris, debris that resulted from the leaky roof. The cafeteria had not fared much better. Even so, a number of people have reported footsteps in the air, a door swinging shut under its own power, and the smell of fresh-baked bread in the air. 
perhaps the greatest and most controversial legend of Waverly Hills was connected to the fifth floor. This floor of the old hospital consisted of two nurses station, a pantry, a linen room, a medicine room, two medium-sized rooms on both sides of the two nurses stations. One of these, room 502, is the subject of many rumors and legends, just about every curiosity seeker that had broken into Waverly Hills over the years wanted to see it. This is where, according to the stories, people have seen shapes moving in the windows, having heard disembodied voices, and if the legends are to be believed, have even jumped to their deaths. There are a lot of legends about what went on in this part of the hospital, but perhaps the biggest misconception is that this was a floor used to house mentally ill tuberculosis patients. This was not the case. The patients here were not insane, nor were they confined to the rooms. They were free to move about, just like patients in all other floors of the hospital. This floor, thanks to its design, allowed patients to still benefit from the fresh air and sunshine that was believed to cure, at least, or at least extend the life of those with this disease. It was centered around the middle of the hospital and two of the wards extended out from the nurse's station were glassed in on all sides and opened out onto a patio-style roof. According to the stories, a nurse was found dead in 502 in 1928. She had committed suicide by hanging herself from a light fixture. She was only 29 years old at the time of her death, unmarried and pregnant. Her depression over the situation led her to take her own life. It's unknown how long she may have been hanging in this room before her body was discovered, and this would not be the only tragedy to occur in this room. In 1932, another nurse who worked in the same room jumped from the roof patio and plunged several stories to her death. No one seems to know why she would have done this, but many have speculated that she may have been actually pushed over the edge. There are no records to indicate this, but the rumors continue to persist. Those are the stories anyway. As with so many legends, no records exist to say that any of this actually happened. There are only conflicting accounts as to how the woman managed to hang herself. Some say she did it from the light fixture, others from a pipe in the door. Some say from the rafters, but there are no rafters. The, the pipe over the door was part of a small sprinkler system installed in 1972. The light fixture is hung on a light decorative chain that would not hold the weight of a person. There's no actual documentation of the death either, according, although some claim the story was verified by a former staff member, John Thornberry, who died in 2006. According to the obituary, he was born in 1922, which would have made him six and 10 years old at the time of the alleged deaths and were that were connected to room 502 this makes his verification more than a little problematic so 16 6 and 10 oh i digress so what happened in room 502 that could cause so many people to claim paranormal experiences there overactive imaginations or is it something real it's hard to say, but it seems that something occurred in that room to cause the legends to take root in the first place. What that might have been, no one knows. The story of 502 may have been loosely based on some forgotten facts, but the truth remains buried under all the speculation and rumor. In spite of this, strange things continue to be reported. Over the course of the next year, volunteers working toward the res restoration of the building experienced ghostly sounds, heard slamming doors, saw lights appear in the building, where there should have been none, had objects thrown at them, were struck by unseen hands, saw apparitions in the doorways and corridors, and more. 
but none of the stories that I have been told could have prepared me for the first visit to Waverly Hills. The first time I visited the hospital was in September 2002. I was in town for a convention and a friend of mine who had been working with the owners at Waverly Hills offered to take me to see the place and that I have been hearing a lot about. At that point, the old hospital had been open for tours, but I had not received the level of infamy that it has today. There have been no television shows, books, or websites dedicated to it in those days. It was literally a dark and stormy night when we arrived at the hospital, and it had been raining all day. I was looking forward to seeing the place, no matter what the weather. Not because I was convinced that I would meet one of the former patients face-to-face. -face. It was simply to experience the place for myself. By the time I had traveled over the country and had, by that time, I had traveled over the all over the country and had been to hundreds of places that were alleged to be haunted. I had felt just the same way before exploring all of them, so Waverly Hills was no different to me. It was just an old spooky building with a fascinating history. The fact that it was alleged to be haunted simply added to the experience. I had long since abandoned the idea of expecting too much. After meeting the owners, we went inside and started our exploration of the building. The building was almost silent. All that I could hear was the sound of our own footsteps, our hushed voices, and the drip of rain, and it slipped through the cracks in the roof and splashed down on the floor. I was given a full guided tour and saw many various rooms, the treatment areas, the kitchen, the morgue, and on and on. We climbed the stairs to the top floor, and I saw a legendary room 502, as well as the light of Louisville, the lights of Louisville, as they reflected off the low, ominous-looking clouds that had gathered above the city. The only floor we skipped over was the fourth. My friend explained that this was the only floor in the building which, for which the entrance was kept locked. He had saved it for last. When we finally arrived on the fourth floor, I got the distinct feeling that something strange was in the air. I made absolutely no claims of any psychic ability whatsoever, but there was something about this floor of the hospital that felt different than the others. What had been nothing more than just an old ramshackle, broken-down building seemed different suddenly. I can't really put it into words. I felt so strange about it, and it was almost seems like a tangible presence that I had not encountered anywhere else was in this place and right away eerie things started to happen we had entered the floor in what i believed was the center of the building behind us was a wing that i was told was not safe to enter sections of the floor had fallen in and the area was off limits to tours and visitors the strange thing about it was both of us clearly heard sounds and doors slamming from this part of the building i can assure the reader it was not the wind either the wind was not strong enough that night to have moved the heavy doors, and this clearly sounded as though someone was closing them very hard. And I questioned my friend about who else could be up here with us. He explained to me about how unsafe the floors were in that section. I investigated on my own and determined that he was correct. There was no one walking around on that part of the fourth floor. I switched off my flashlight and we walked down the corridor using only the dim, ambient light from outside. The hallway runs through the center of the building. On the other side of it are former patient rooms. Beyond the rooms is the porch area that opens to the outside. It was there where the patients were placed to take in fresh air. But there was no glass ever placed in the huge outer windows. 
which had left interior of the floor open to the elements ever since. On this night, the windows also illuminated the corridor, thanks to low-hanging clouds that glowed with the lights of Louisville. We walked down through the dark and murky corridor, and I began to see shadows that flickered back and forth. I was sure that this was a trick of the eye, though likely caused by the lights or the wind, something moving outside. But was there, but was where the corridor angled to the right that I got a look at something that was definitely not a trick of the eye. In order for the reader to understand what I saw, I have to explain that the hallway ahead of us continued straight for a short distance, then sharply to the right. In the early 1900s, most institutions of this type were designed in this manner. It was what was dubbed the batwing design, which meant there was a main center in each building and then wings extended right and left, then angled again so that they ran slightly backwards like a bird or a bat. Directly at the angle ahead of us in the doorway that led into a treatment room, I only noticed the doorway in the darkness because the dim light of the windows beyond it had caused it to glow slightly. This made it impossible to miss since I was it was straight ahead of us. We took a few more steps and then without warning, a clear, distinct silhouette of a man crossed the light lighted doorway, passed into the hallway, and then vanished into a room on the other side of the corridor. I got a distinct look at the figure, and I know it was a man. He was wearing what appeared to be a long white drape that could have been a doctor's coat. The sighting only lasted a few seconds, but I knew what I had seen. And for some reason, it shocked and startled me so badly, I let out a yell and grabbed a hold of my friend's jacket. I'm not sure why it affected me in that way, but perhaps it was the setting, the fig sudden figure's appearance, my own anxiety, or likely all of these things. Regardless, after my yell, I demanded that he turn on the light and help me to examine the room the man had vanished into. After my initial fright, I became convinced that someone else was on the floor with us, trying to mess with us. My friend assured me we were the only ones there, but he did help me search for the intruder. In an empty room with only one way in or out, and there was no one. Whoever that figure had been, he had utterly and completely vanished. I doubt that I was the first person to see this mysterious apparition on the fourth floor, and it's unlikely that I will be the last. However, this sighting put Waverly into a unique category for me that I will firmly state that I believe is haunted. Usually for me to do that, I must have my own unexplainable experience that makes me go beyond a mere bump in the night or spooky photograph. In this case, I actually had seen a ghost, and at the time, I could count the number of ghost sightings that I had on two fingers. Waverly Hills is haunted, and for me, seeing was believing. Ooh, that was a good one. I am hyped, guys. I am so excited for tonight. All right, we'll take a break and then get right back at it after this. Alright, welcome back. Without getting into the history of it, I'm going to jump into some hit or miss stories that people have said about Waverly Hills. Alright, so here we go. This comes from sstimes.com. My team made a trek through the dark first level hallway. I was holding up the rear with a shadowy figure walking next to me. I assumed it to be my teammate Doug and what little I can make out he was built like Doug anyway we had our flashlights off so our eyes would adjust to the dark 
We were silent, listening. Someone tripped in the group in front of me, and I heard Doug up there, laughing and making a comment. I switched on my light, and no one was beside me. Oh, freaky. My teammates helped me into a morgue locker at my request and left me alone. I listened to their footsteps retreating. It was quiet for a while, and then the small room seemed to come alive. I couldn't see anything but black, yet outside the locker door, I heard sounds of shuffling feet and the clatter of things being moved on metal gurney. They stopped as my team returned to let me out. The tunnel through the hill from the hospital to the road below was originally the entrance and exit for the workers. It also served to deliver supplies. It eventually graduated into the body chute, where deceased were transported, blah, blah, blah. We know this part. So, me and my team were standing at the top. Even a flashlight beam would not reach to the bottom of the body chute. While, while shooting a single laser beam to the bottom, it suddenly stopped upon something solid. And that something was making its way up the tunnel towards us. We could see the vague white outlines of a form. We watched it grow closer until the form disappeared and the laser beam then shooting down into the darkness. On the fourth floor terrace, I was alone and watching a dark shadow figure follow me from within the inner hallways. It was playing hide and seek. It would, on occasion, peek a dark head around a doorframe. Even though the building, once housing for the sick and dying, now empty, you feel eyes upon you as you stand outside and gaze upward. I expect you will for years to come. Ooh, freaky, freaky. All right. That is from sstimes.com. Still freaky. Um, I'm going to probably try the laser beam thing if we get to see the body shoot tonight. Um, see if it stops on anything. Um, but I'll be bringing my laser with me um, and a flashlight. So that's exciting. Uh, we'll be right back at it after this. All right. Let's get into one of the spookier subjects of Waverly Hills. The doppelgangers. I think these are terrifying. I hope I do not see one tonight. But who knows? All right. So, a little backstory on doppelgangers. You may have heard the term doppelganger used before. However, many are unaware of the doppelganger phenomenon and what it means in the paranormal world. So, for those wondering what is a doppelganger, we will explore the origin and meaning in this article. Doppelganger is a German word meaning double walker. To put it simply, a doppelganger is thought to be an exact double or alter ego of a living person. The term is defined as a ghostly counterpart of a living person. Biolocation is a term often used when discussing doppelgangers. It is a word that describes an instance of a person or object that seems to be in two places at the same time. As mysterious as it sounds, quantum physics also teaches that it is possible for particles to exist in two places at once. The doppelganger is usually seen in someone's peripheral vision, a short glimpse of what looks like a reflection, only there are no mirrors or reflective surfaces. It is believed that most, that only you can see the doppelganger. However, some reported cases that have been witnessed by others. 
Doppelganger theories vary on who or what the other version of yourself may be. However, tales of this strange phenomenon have been told for ages, and the appearance of someone's doppelganger has always been associated with terrible things. The experience is considered, in most cultures, a bad omen and believed to foreshadow a certain death. Alright, skipping around. Um, let's see. Waverly Hills Sanatorium is also known for the do doppelganger phenomenon. It is rumored rumored that you may catch a glimpse of your own doppelganger inside Waverly Hills. It is believed that if you are unlucky enough to see your other self, then you are sure to die. The Waverly doppelganger phenomenon was once featured in an episode of Ghost Adventures. So what is a doppelganger? Are they evil? Is it some kind of mental projection that we are all capable of? Could it be the ghost or a phantom? What about those multiverse theorists? Are we actually existing in another universe simultaneously? Maybe the doppelganger phenomenon is simply a hiccup in space and time. What do you think? Although we may never know the truth behind the doppelgangers, we will remain one of the most interesting and creepy paranormal subjects on the Earth. For those who are interested, you can learn more about doppelgangers below. If you have ever seen what you believe is your doppelganger or have a doppelganger story, let us know by commenting below. <laughs> I'll probably edit that out. I didn't realize that I was just reading to read. <laughs> All right, I digress. Doppelganger. Several visitors to the site of Waverly Hills and some of the volunteers claim to see doppelgangers on the floors. This term can literally be translated double goer from German. It basically describes a lookalike spirit of a living person. He or she walks around like a normal human being. Some even claim that these ghosts have talked and interacted with tourists. Many European cultures believe that it, if it, you encounter your doppelganger, it would almost certainly mean a quick death. All right. This comes from spiritcrossing.com. Doppelganger, paranormal phenomenon theories. The paranormal phenomenon of doppelgangers has been occurring for centuries. There are many theories as to why this occurs, as well as disagreements on how the doppelganger phenomenon happens. Some believe a doppelganger can be seen by the person that is impersonating only, but others can attest that doppelgangers can appear to anyone the original person knows. The doppelganger phenomenon doesn't happen often, but when it does, it typically makes quite a stir. There have been many stories and accounts of seeing someone's double. Many accounts include interacting with the doppelganger, thinking it was orig the original person, whereas in other accounts, the original person has encountered his or her own doppelganger. However, this phenomenon never had a name until the late 18th century, even though it was known to occur in centuries prior. The term doppelganger was first used in 1796 in a novel, Sinbacas, by Jean-Paul, a German romance novelist. The word doppelganger is actually two German words put together, doppel meaning double and ganger meaning walker. In the book, the main character is unhappy in his current marriage and his alter ego, referred to as his doppelganger in the book, convinces him to fake his own death. Ultimately, the main character falls in love with someone else and gets married after he fakes his own death. Um, let's see. That was the book version separated into four characteristics. 
The first is that a doppelganger is the ghost of a living person. The next is the next is simply a devil. The last reference is a person's alter ego. And then the same name is another. That's from the dictionary. It's an alter ego or higher self, an evil twin. The Cherokee have stories of, like that of it being an evil twin. Doppelgangers have no souls. All right. The part about Waverly Hills. Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky is said to have more cases of doppelgangers. Many people, including paranormal investigators, have had experiences with doppelgangers. Most of the stories coming out of Waverly Hills on doppelganger paranormal phenomena are where we have seen other members of their team. Sometimes they have interacted with the doppelganger, and other times they have only seen the person down the hall. Upon talking with the actual person in question, the person was nowhere near the location where the doppelganger was spotted. Regardless of all the theories, all of them agree on one thing. They agree that, for the most part, a doppelganger appears to be flesh and bone and not an apparition or ghost. Although, keep in mind that many people still believe a doppelganger manifests in spirit form instead. Because doppelganger phenomenon is rare occurrence, it's difficult to study. And when it does occur, generally people don't realize it until it's too late. All there is to go on are stories and accounts in hindsight. Ooh, that is one thing I hope I do not encounter tonight. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine seeing like you're, you're suddenly by yourself or something and you see like your team down the hall? Like, let's say I see Kara down the hall. And so I go, hey, Kara, wait up. And I'm brave because I see Kara. So I run down this hall, catch up with Kara, <laughs> maybe even talk to her, and then she disappears. Like right in front of me because she was a doppelganger or she turns around and she has no eyes or something that would be freaky <laughs> so i hope i don't see a doppelganger tonight because that would be crazy all right let's take a short break and be right back at it after this all right this is where i'm cutting it off for before the event um i will revisit you guys after we get done with our two-hour excursion our paranormal tour into waverly hills sanatorium um i will have any people that went with us give their testimony of anything that they saw or heard and yeah i'm pretty excited about it all right so the next time you hear my voice it'll be full of excitement or something <laughs> having already done the event and debriefing you on what i saw or didn't see all right stay spooky for the next 30 seconds for you <laughs> the next couple hours for me <laughs> all right i will talk to you guys later All right, I am freshly back from our Waverly Hills Sanatorium visit, and I've got to say, the two-hour tour is definitely worth the price of $25. They are not paying me to say that. It just is. It's a fact. $25 for that? Come on. 
every time. I would do that every time. Um, it actually excited us so much. We're probably going to do the six hour tour next. <clears throat> so if anybody's interested in an overnight, um, I haven't looked at the dates yet, but I know that one's not too expensive either. So I digress. Um, let me get into some really cool stories that, uh, we heard on there and then tell you about some of the stuff we witnessed. So we were coming up this stairwell and uh, we came to this door and she asked for a volunteer and my friend Jason volunteered to go stand on the other side of this door um, in the pitch black dark. Um, you know, there's a window in this door, but there's no glass in it, anything. It looks like a regular, you know, metal door. So we're standing on the landing in the stairway. Uh, there's probably like 30 of us in the stairway, like waiting for her to tell us why we're standing there. And she tells us that um, one night, whenever people were coming for the tour and stuff like that, some boys had broken in. Oops. Some boys had broken in. And... Um, the security guards, they thought everybody was gone, and all of a sudden they heard screaming coming from inside. So they rushed up there, they rushed to that door that we were standing in front of, and um, there's boys inside, like three or four boys. So there's not a lock on this door, there's nothing holding this door shut. So the boys are crying and screaming, and so they're like, why didn't you just let yourself out? And so the security guys, they um, found out that the boys said they wouldn't let us out. They surrounded us and wouldn't let us out. Um, and we just want to go home. And so according to the boys, they were surrounded by these entities, um, these dark shadow whatevers, and they wouldn't let them out. And the door wasn't locked. The security guards, in fact, just opened the door. And it swung to just like normal. But when the boys came tumbling out, they saw that one of the boys had an axe. Which is how they broke in to begin with. So there's axe marks on this door. They tried to axe their way through this door. Um, which is no small feat. But we can still see to this day the indentions in the door from the axe trying to get out. But they said simply that something was holding them there. Something wouldn't let them leave. Um, which is scary because the door wasn't being held shut by anything. There wasn't a lock. If, even if there was, there was a window with a busted out window. So you could have reached through and opened it. So... That was one of the stories, and my friend Jason, while he's hearing the story through the window, um, he starts staring down the hallway in the pitch black dark. His eyes adjust, and I'll let you, I'll let him send me um, his debrief on, you know, what he saw. But he said he saw something going from door to door um, 
in that hallway, just like a shadow creature, which is really, really cool. So he started getting freaked out whenever he was hearing the story. Um, he's like, why am I on the other side of this door? <laughs> so that was one of the stories. Another story was whenever we were in the morgue area, which is very tiny. I pictured it being way bigger than it actually is. But um, one of the girls had asked to be left in one of the um, body shoots, you know, like the, you know, things that they hold bodies in. And they left her like a uh, walkie-talkie, you know, uh, self-recorder, stuff like that. Everything you would need to investigate something. Um, and then they left. And when they came back, they found her in the corner crying inside this room right next to the body chute. And they, they were like, why are you crying? Why didn't you call us? We would have come back. And she says... I tried to call you several times on the radio, but it wouldn't let me leave. I tried to walk out the door because it's just an open door. And I tried to walk out and it kept pushing me back into the room. So that's fun. All right. So we started our tour immediately in darkness. We spent most of the tour in darkness. So we took pictures of kind of the porches and stuff like that that they used to put people on their beds out you know in all the weather and snow and summer and all that so we're walking and we're trying to see things peering around the corner at us you know and we're walking we we get some heebie-jeebies here and there um the first experience i had was whenever we were in the tanning room where people, you know, they got like, they thought sunlight could help, so they would be exposed to sun artificial sunlight, um, you know, while their chest cavities were exposed and stuff like that, thinking that would kill the TB. So they um, pretty much... Um, while we were standing there, I was kind of in the back and then I've got the solarium or the porch behind me. And then while she's telling us what this tanning booth pretty much is behind me, I hear mm, right over the back of my shoulder and I was like, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> and I told my friends and like moved forward a little bit. And I was like, no, nah, I just heard something either clear their throat or like announce themselves, you know, just like, mm, like that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so we're going and um, we hear about the homeless guy that had a dog and they were both murdered in um, one of the floors. I think it was the third floor and everything. And there was one guest that had taken a picture of that room around eight. So the sun was still up and he caught a pretty good shadow figure of a, uh, you know, a nurse or what looks like a woman at least. Um, and then it's talking about back to that murdered guy in that same room. 
um, he thought he saw somebody from the group go in that room. So he went to follow him. And when he turned around, it was that guy that had gotten murdered. He didn't know it at the time. He just knew it was an apparition because it was, you know, a dead person with long stringy hair, which is exactly like the homeless guy. Um, sometimes they hear, um, sounds of animal cruelty, like an animal being tortured. Sometimes they hear the sound of a collar. Sometimes they hear scratching on the floors, like a dog's running, stuff like that. So they let us go in and explore, and there was definitely a heaviness in that room. So I did not stay very long in that room. Definitely didn't want anything to follow me home. <laughs> I had some sage in my pocket, <laughs> just in case. But, I digress. Um, we kept looking, um, trying to see shadow people. Um, behind that door that the boys had gotten trapped behind, they had said, this is the best place to see shadow people. So... We're looking down the hallway, and there's no lights, no flash photography, no phones. Like, they were like, you have to let your eyes adjust. So we let our eyes adjust, and we're staring down the hallway, and they ask for a volunteer. So one person's like, Kimberly. And so Kimberly reluctantly goes down the hallway, puts her arms out, like the instructor said, and just stands there. And then we see stuff moving around, skirting across the floor, uh, peeking around doorways. We see, like, just movement, you know? So that was cool. And then she wasn't really about it, Kimberly. So they called her back. And then they were like, let's see, do we have another volunteer? And I was like, yeah, me. And she was like, okay, go for it. So I walk down the hall and I'm just like trying to be brave, brave as I can, trying to see something, you know, I wanted to see something so bad. And so I'm walking and she's like, put your arms out. And so I did. And they sent me pretty far down the hall. And so I'm standing there with my arms out and I'm staring, trying to look through the peripheral of my vision. Um, keep seeing movement but it's hard to tell because you're supposed to blink you're not supposed to just stare um so it's hard to tell if your mind's playing tricks on you or if it's truly a shadow person like i've seen in the past it's really really hard to tell because it's so dark and uh there's just movement all around so I don't know if that was my eyes playing tricks on me, but while I was standing there from behind me, I hear the group go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's stuff moving behind him. There's stuff moving between us and him. And you could tell like things like exiting one room, going to another, peering around the corner at the group, stuff like that. As we were moving down the hallway and they were coming towards me, one girl started screaming, and she goes, Oh my gosh, it was a little girl, it was a little girl, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Y'all are going to think I'm crazy, but did y'all see that? Did y'all see that? And we looked at her, and we are like, we didn't see it, but we believe you. And she's like, oh my gosh, you guys think I'm crazy. And I was like, you're in one of the most haunted places in America, if not the world. 
we believe you trust trust we believe you <laughs> but she told us it was actually a little girl and she said it peered around the corner and she could see her hair draping off of her head you know like staring trying to you know curious at the group that was coming by it was like a little kid a little girl which is very 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 creepy so the group goes and we go down the hall and we go to one of the operation rooms and she's like the reason i sent you guys in here first is because a lot of times this big heavy metal door will slam shut on my groups <laughs> and it can only be opened from the other side so i like to be on the other side so i can open the door for you guys um but it didn't slam shut on anybody which thankfully it didn't because that would have really messed me up <laughs> um but as we were waiting in the hallway for everybody to kind of snap their pictures and take in the room i show them my laser um back down the shadow people hallway and as soon as i did a door slammed shut <laughs> and i was like oh my goodness oh my goodness <laughs> It was like every time we wanted something to happen, it would happen, but we would freak out. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I almost forgot. While we were staring down the shadow people hall, um, I kept seeing something creeping along the floor. And I can't confirm if it was the creeper, as previously reported, because he said it was bigger than a dog. And all I remember seeing is just something creeping along the floor in between where you could see the moonlight on the floor. You would just see something creep by real quick. So I can't tell if it's a shadow person creeping on the floor or if it was actually the creeper. I had my hat on, so I really didn't look at the ceiling. <laughs> kind of glad I didn't. But as we were walking down that hall, I did feel something touch my head, even with my hat on. Um, it was lower than my hat, right in between my eyebrows. I felt something touch me there. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. So a lot of the group kept reporting that things were touching them. Things were pulling them. Things were, my friend Kara, she can tell you, or she'll probably send me a debrief. But um, whenever we were in one of the rooms, she said something had touched her leg. And the tour guide said, well, it's very possible. There's a lot of kids that hang out in here, a lot of children ghosts. <sighs> so that was fun. Um, I'm trying to think. We went up to room 502. We went into room 502, which is pretty much just a washroom, a bathroom, like a shower. Um, and we were um, allowed to take pictures in there. But they said that people often feel their chest get tight whenever they walk into that room. Um, there was a nurse that was hung in that area on the fifth floor because it's a very small area on the fifth floor. Um, but it's right outside of room 502. And they don't know if it was a doctor that had gotten her pregnant trying to save his reputation or if it was the actual woman herself that hung herself. But a lot of people on the regular tours have ended up crying in the corner, saying that they saw something or that they saw stuff running back and forth. 
felt sick, felt pressure, felt all these kind of things. Um, and they would have to like be removed by the safety team and, you know, help to calm down. So that was kind of the fifth floor. We were allowed to explore that for a while. And then we went all the way down to the first floor um, and checked out the morgue, which is super tiny, super tiny. Um, you see like a wooden, almost like a pantry sized uh, thing. And it's got like four chutes for bodies. Um, and then there's some tables for autopsies, stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's tiny. It's like a U shape. You walk in, you turn the corner, you see the place where you put the body shoots, and then you kind of exit. So, um, we walked down a long hall and then we went and checked out. The last thing that we did was we checked out the, um, actual body shoot, um, the long sloping downhill, very quickly body shoot. Um, I asked the tour guide because I brought a laser because I've heard stories of people using a laser and pointing it down there and seeing stuff cross the laser light, like in front of the laser. So she said I could use it. And so when we walked halfway down, I kind of used it and played around with it a little and, you know, it was really unsatisfied with, you know, I didn't see anything. So when the group's walking all the way back up, we were kind of the last ones because we were the first ones down. Everybody just turned around and went back up. So I point my laser light down there again and I start moving it around. And then stuff starts crossing in, in front of it. And we know nobody's down there. Like, we're, we're the two-hour tour. We're not allowed to go down there. And there was nobody else down there when we shone our lights. So it was kind of cool that last little time seeing like two or three times something cross in front of the light and make it not go as far as it did because you would see it go really far and then you would see it go like really kind of like halfway like something crossed in between it and then back far. So that was pretty cool. That was a pretty cool experience. So very satisfied overall on the little things here and there. Um, even the, you know, shadows that we would see, it was, we couldn't tell if it was our eyes playing tricks on us or if it was actual shadow people like everybody say. Um, but we did see shadows move and we did see what appeared to be apparitions and stuff like that of people moving around. It felt very busy whenever I was standing by myself in that hallway. So um that's all that i have for my debrief um i will let you know in the morning um what jason sends me and if kara sends me anything and i will add it to the end of this episode all right um be sure to check out our facebook page at paranormal stories spooky shizzes and parentheses um join our page there let me know any of your spooky stories and I'll be sure to add them to the podcast. Um, if you're loud, proud and don't care who knows that you had this experience, go ahead and post it in the group. It's a very trusting group. So, um, go ahead and do that. 
Um, if you have any spooky memes, we're all about them. So be sure to post them there. All right. So that was pretty much wraps up our experience with Waverly Hills tonight. Um, very spooky place. A lot of tragedy has happened there. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I just, I love the stories that they were telling us because they're awesome. So um, we will probably be doing a six-hour tour next time because <laughs> that's where you get to go off by yourself and you're more likely to see stuff. Um, the two-hour tour, you kind of have to stay together in a group of like 30 or 40. <laughs> so I digress. That's it for me tonight. Um, hope you guys enjoyed everything that you heard and stay spooky, my friends. All right, Jason sent me his story so I can add it to the debrief. My best story would have to be my experience on the fourth floor of the hospital. Once our group reached the fourth floor, our guide asked the group which of us would feel comfortable standing alone behind the door in the dark in the hallway. Keeping in mind, this hallway is notorious for seeing shadow people. I immediately spoke up and said I wanted to do it. Once behind the door, our guides began telling the story of three teenage boys that came to the hospital before it was open to tourists. They carried an axe with them to tear things up. While on the fourth floor, they heard something and immediately became scared and decided to head back to the stairwell. However, the door they came through that had no locking mechanism was now locked. They began to panic and started screaming. The security guard at the time came rushing and found them behind the door using the axe trying to break through and was screaming that they were surrounded and the people wouldn't let them go. Finally, the guard was able to get the door open and discovered the boys completely frightened, axe markings covering the door. They never wanted to come back to the hospital again. I was behind the door while the story was being told. I turned around to see the axe markings actually littered the door. I turned around again and looked to my left and to my right down the completely dark hallways. It was eerie to say the least. I turned again to my left because I heard something. I continued staring into the void that was this creepy hospital hallway, and all of a sudden, I seen it. At the end of the hall, to my left, I seen something move that moved across the hall, across the floor to the last doorway at the end of the hall. I kept staring, thinking maybe my eyes were playing tricks on me. However, in a matter of a few seconds, the same thing moved across the hall to the next doorway up the hall again. To the next, until it reached the doorway that was about 50 feet from where I was standing. I stood strong, even though the hair on the back of my neck was standing straight up. I kept saying I felt like it was, I was in a Silent Hill, the video game, or the movie. It felt so eerie, and every noise made you wonder what was there in the dark. And it felt like someone was watching me the whole time. I wouldn't say this was the best experience I had while on the tour, I most certainly will be going back for the overnight tour because they allow you to roam the halls on your own. I feel like I would experience more alone rather than in a group of 25. All right. Thank you, Jason. That was a great addition. So, um, kind of speaking 
to that hallway. That was probably my favorite part. Um, it was in that hallway that I volunteered to go stand at the other end of the hallway than our group, which was super scary. And um, it felt like me and Jason were the only ones um, besides that girl, Kimberly, that got voluntold um, that, you know, were able to do that special thing, like go alone <laughs> somewhere. Um, but it was cool. And yeah, it's hard to tell whenever you're in complete darkness because your eyes have adjusted and you see little like where the moonlight's coming through the doorways and stuff like that. And so you see differences between the shadow and the doorways, you know, and that's really the only time you can like see anything peeking around, you know, so that's cool. So with that, I will once again, <laughs> uh, sign off and remind everyone out there to stay spooky and look forward to our next episode. All right. Stay spooky, my friends. <laughs>